Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Star Wars. I'm your host, and I'm here by my co-host Spencer. Spencer, how you doing? Doing well, man. I can only imagine what cloud nine you're on right woo! now. Woo! Woo! I'm doing the Ric Flair all around my house. I'm super excited. Obi-Wan finally premiered. We got episode one and episode two on Friday. It is now Sunday, so we podcast professionals are right in your ear trying to get this content out to tell you our thoughts on the first episode of Disney's Obi-Wan Spencer. Uh, you haven't been answering texts for days. You uh, you are not talking to me um, mm-hmm. beforehand about Obi-Wan. I n- absolutely know nothing about your thoughts of Obi-Wan. Now is the time. Reveal. What did you think? Episode one. Fire away. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it did some things remarkably well. I was even surprised myself. I don't like the prequels at all as much as you do. You straight up love the prequels. See, that's uh, why. I, so I sent you a text before we started, and I wanted you to rank your favorite Star Wars movies. You did not do that. But I, uh, the point is I wanted to know where in all of the 11 main Star Wars movies the prequels sit for you. I think mm-hmm. that's really important to start the discussion, right? Like, where, where, where are they? Are they like complete? Are they down near the sequel movies, or are they is even they're, one of them up? They're within and among the sequel movies for me. Of where they're better than two of the sequel movies, worse than one of the sequel movies, and worse than the three of the original trilogy. Interesting. Okay, so for me, uh, Empire Strikes Back is the best uh, of the movies, uh, followed by New Hope, followed by mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith, followed by Rogue, Rogue One for me. So that's yeah. one, two, three, four for me. Oh, uh, that's okay. If we're, if we're counting like the extras, I was I was only counting the mainline nine. Yeah, eleven. I, I said saying. eleven. So Rogue okay, One okay, and okay. Solo account. Yeah, it's, it still might be in there. I'd have to think a little bit harder about doing some of the uh, the extras. Solo might be the, the the bottom of the barrel in terms of Solo um, wasn't good. I agree. Solo's not. I don't like Rogue One as quite as much as other people do, though. I I understand why people like it. I did yeah. not like Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith may actually not even be my favorite of the prequels, but I understand why people rank, rank it so high. Yeah. So, uh, and I, and I brought that up because like if you if you like like I thought Revenge of the Sith was best of the prequel movies was better than Return of the Jedi, was better than any of the sequel movies. If you think that, then this is wheelhouse, right? Because this really does pick right. I mean, it's ten years later, but they are picking up on all the plot lines. Yeah, they're they're grabbing all the plot lines from Revenge of the Sith. And they're making. They start with a four minute recap that's got to be two and a half minutes of Revenge of the Sith of yep. that four minute recap. But for me, having not particularly you know, any nostalgia trigger based in the prequels, I like them well enough. Some more, some moments more than others. Overall package is a mixed bag. I was surprised by the nostalgia effect of seeing Ewan McGregor and Jimmy Smiths back in their roles. I was surprised what effect that had on me. They were great. They acted wonderfully. The cinematography was great. The mixing of the music in was pretty well done. The acting on the whole was a mixed bag. And there were some noticeable let- letdowns for me I'll be curious to discuss with you. And as the overarching plot, I think they may be doing a little bit more than I would have preferred in terms of how many things they're going to have going at the same time or the way they're going to be blending in plot threads together. But it's ambitious, if nothing else, in terms of how, where they're going with it. So I liked it. I, it, it. It didn't astound me. It didn't disappoint me. It gives me some hopes for the future and some concerns going forward. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the immediate feeling... Two, two immediate feelings when I watched it. One was I was just full of gratitude that Ewan McGregor was willing to come back to the Star Wars universe and do this. Yes. That man does not have to do this. He's no, he extremely wealthy. He can do any movie he wants to do. Um, but he chose to come back to Star Wars despite what the Star Wars fandom did to him and Hayden Christensen um, 
They weren't uh, as hard on him as they were on Hayden Christensen. Th- but they were hard on the movies, and they were not particularly sure. kind. Um, and so, like, for both of them to be willing to come back to Star Wars Universe, I was very grateful that they were willing to do that. Um, so shout out Ewan McGregor for coming back, giving us this series, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I also just had the feeling, like, I just felt like this could easily be a movie. Like, this is... Yeah, they are they are talking big things like bo- the book of Boba Fett felt like small screen to me. The yes, actors, very much so. the what they were what they were the focus, attacking, the setting. it all felt small screen. This feels big screen. This is talking about one of the most important characters in all of the Star Wars universe. Darth Vader is in this motherfucker. Like they, they are talking about how the Empire is treating the Outer Rim territories like this is big stuff. It fits right into the movie timeline. I felt like if absent Mandalorian mm-hmm. and absent COVID, this might have been a movie. That's what that was my feeling. I, I would say absent Mandalorian, absent COVID, and absent the fan response to the most recent films. I think in some ways this may be the new future, at least Disney's new focus when it comes to mainline storytelling. But like you, it caught me off guard how mainline this is going to be. Yeah. I thought this was going to be a purposefully small story, focusing on Obi-Wan, focusing on his journeys in Tatooine, watching over Luke. Some small things with that. I wasn't expecting, you know, let's go rescue the princess moment episode within 20 minutes of this thing starting. Yeah, that's what I told my wife. I was like, you know, I know she's not as into Star Wars as I am, but I was like, this is a, this is very mainstream and it's going to be very easy for you to pick up. I mean, I, I think that what they're doing with a lot of these stories is starting to get very hard for the casual fan to figure out. They look like... Where, when does Book of Boba Fett happen? When does Obi Wan sure, happen? Yeah. When are the movies? When is when is Andor? What is that like? It's starting to get hard. This is not hard. This is very like you watch the four minute recap. If you've seen the movies, you know exactly the characters. You know exactly when this fits in, and the mm-hmm. story that they tell is easy to follow. So I, I feel like it's probably going to do real big numbers for Disney's. Was my guess. I, I will be very curious to see, but. Shall we get into it, sir? Yeah, let's, let's get into it. This is this is a Mango Talks podcast. Check out all of our Mango Talks podcasts at mangotalks.com, M-A-N-G-U-M talks.com. You can also go to your favorite podcast provider, type in Mango Talks. Those are keywords. Get all of our content. Spencer and I have been doing this a long time. We've been reviewing a lot of television shows, most of them very, very good. I liked a mm-hmm. lot of them. Spencer critiqued a lot of them. We got Game of Thrones, <laughs> Westworld, Succession, all the big... Well, actually, we didn't do Westworld, did we? But Game of Thrones, Succession... Um, yeah, Westworld. We did. We did a lot of. Uh, we were right. We did do the first season of Westworld. We have done a lot of very good television over the years on Mango Talks, and now we are picking up on this podcast platform, this podcast feed, Mango Talks Star Wars, and we are just going to follow all of the big ticket Star Wars stuff. We still have to do a heart to heart, you and I, Mister Spencer. We have got to sit down and talk seriously about this Andor thing because it is something that I think we were um, thinking we were going to dismiss. And I just watched the. Can. I watched I the fucking teaser of this thing and it looks great so we might need to do andor but the any star wars content that mangum talks does will be right here on this very podcast thread so that is the housekeeping let's jump into our normal podcast here as we recap episode one of obi-wan we do a recap i will lead the recap that's right i volunteers tribune to read the do the recap and then we will do best line of the episode where we grab the best line of dialogue i think we have some pretty good options here this is not to me like book of boba fett Book of Boba Fett, we did best line of the episode, and we really struggled first few episodes to find anything. <laughs> there were some good lines in here, I felt like. And then we will go to an awesome segment for this show, nostalgic moment of the episode, because Spencer and I were 30-year-old males who grew up on Star Wars, and so any of this, 
any of this content is going to trigger massive nostalgia for us. So we like to ping, pinpoint exactly in the episode when we felt the most nostalgia tingles. We will do that as we wrap up. Spencer, are you ready to do the recap? I am, sir, but I feel like we have to kind of start with the recap as we go into this. Yeah, so they did a four-minute recap, as you called out, of, in essence, the prequel movies, but really Revenge of the Sith. Now, here are my thoughts on this recap. One is it was extremely well done. So whatever, whoever had responsibility for it, shout out to you. You did a great job. I was personally shocked at the amount of Yoda in it. I don't know about you. That caught me off guard. I mean, Yoda is uh, he's foundational for Star Wars. He's practically the image of Star Wars before a different member of his species could supplanted him in that regard. Um, but so much featured front and center in this is that given you vibes or hints that Yoda's going to appear before this little series is done? See, that's what shocked me, is that like I was fairly certain when they explained what this series is, when I figured mm-hmm. out where it is in the timeline, who the actors are, that there's no Yoda, there, there would be no point of Yoda, right? Yoda has gone to Dagobah. We know he stays in Dagobah until the Empire Strikes Back. Um, the, the, I, I did not think this would have anything to do with him, but he is in he is in the recap a lot, and then also in a flashback that uh, Obi Wan has while he's having a little bit of PTSD in the middle of the first episode. So mm-hmm. I don't fuck if I know, dude. Maybe, maybe I mean you know they really did focus on that last line of Revenge of the Sith that Yoda had with Obi-Wan where he said, I will teach you how to commune with your old master. Mm -hmm. Um, We all at the time thought that was just standard force ghost procedures. (laughs) Force ghosts, they like to show up at the end of every Star Wars movie. We figured he'd just get a a force ghost. Now I have read uh, interviews with Liam Neeson, who played Qui-Gon Jinn, Mm Obi-Wan's master, saying that he is not interested in coming back to Star Wars in the small screen. He is a movie only guy. He is a snood as it were. He does not want to do a television show. So I'm not sure we're going to get Qui-Gon in this either. So I'm a little shocked as to why they were focusing so heavily on that conversation with Yoda and Obi-Wan. They own his voice and any prior line that he's done before. I can picture them finding a way to still getting him in here, even without him physically appearing. We'll see. Yeah. Or well, physically new, newly appearing. Anything else from the four-minute recap? No, I, like you, I thought it was, it was an effective setup for where they're going with this. It told me pretty early on this is going to be mo- main movie focused in a way I wasn't necessarily expecting, but it sets me up for that well. So here's something I had not considered. And I, hand up, I'm just, I'm a humble guy, Spencer. I'll let you know. I did not realize that in this canon, Obi-Wan could potentially go 10 years and not know Anakin lived. I just didn't, I, I, it makes perfect sense, but I just never thought that. I mean, because Vader is ruling next to the Emperor. I would think Obi-Wan could at minimum feel him through the Force. At at most, hear that about this Darth Vader character that is uh, that imp that's ruling the, the galaxy along with the Emperor. I had no, I had not guessed that we would be 10 years later and Obi-Wan would not know Anakin survived. That is so, I'm right there with you. It was so surprising to me. I started, you know, crossing my eyes at it like, are they changing canon? Because that feels like that can't be. Like that, how, I struggled. That's one of two things I kind of struggled with in the episode of where I, oh man, that is an interesting plot choice to have him not know that. That is so flying in the face of everything I assumed to be the case there. Yeah. Well, we start with the Jedi Academy. Order 66 is being given. Order 66. Mm-hmm. Execute Order 66. One youngling uh, seems to lead a group of other younglings away. Mm-hmm. 
sorry, I'm going to do a little racial profiling. This is a black woman who is leading, uh, or black girl that is leading the rest of the Jedi away. My guess is this is Reva, who is the third sister of the Grand Inquisitor that we see later in the episode. That's my thought as to why they gave us this very specific flashback of Order 66. What did you think? I agree, and it kind of occurred to me at the time of just a conservation of resources standpoint of where if you're gonna give if you're gonna give any if you're if you're gonna give some element of characterization to any of these younglings that are here, and it's the young black girl, and we're gonna very focus heavily on the only other black woman that we have in the, in the show. Eh, doesn't seem like it's that much of a leap to say these two might be connected in some way. Yeah, I think it's also the suggestion at times that Jedi are hunting Jedi kind of hints into that as well too. And we know the Inquisitors uh, from the the cartoon series Rebels, which is mm-hmm. actually set after this. Rebels is set fourteen or fifteen years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. This Rebels is te- like right before. Uh, this is New set Hope. ten years before, so it's after what we're seeing here. And the the Inquisitors are still around. And Inquisitors basically are a group of folks. So the Emperor, not a dumb guy, he decided, mm-hmm. okay, there there are some of these Jedi who have tucked tail and run to me and have said, hey, 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 I, I recognize that you're winning this thing. Like, can I join your team? I'll take them and use them to hunt other Jedi. And that is, is in effect, what he has done. Most of yeah. these Inquisitors are former either Jedi Padawans or Jedi themselves, who, when Order 66 was given, the Jedi fell, turned to the dark side to follow the what, Emperor. What, would it be fair to say that, I, 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 I like how you framed that, would it be fair to say the majority of them were either fresh acolytes that he found himself or young young padawans rather than like older established jedi that have turned or been converted that, my impression was they were like young impressionable individuals that he's brought to the dark side that were in the jedi order but not like full wearing the vestment members at that point yeah the so the i think that the most of them were were somewhere in the padawan stage i yes. think the grand inquisitor might have been a jedi that did flip over um but yeah, most of them are like Reva, who who were in some stage of development in training in the Jedi Academy, and then when Order sixty six was given, flipped over. What well, what did you think of our Order sixty six scenes? We've been getting a lot of these lately in the in, in the new television shows. They're good, you know. I'm always amazed when Order sixty six is portrayed, and I think we've gotten it three different times now. We've gotten it in Revenge of the Sith, we got it in Book of Boba Fett, and we've gotten it here, mm-hmm. uh, and then we got it a bunch in Clone Wars. Um, I'm always sort of amazed at how capable the clones are in fighting Jedi. Like, it seems weird to me that like three of the clones will take down a Jedi. But it seems we we've seen that in every single representation of Order sixty six. It, it, it almost is the stormtrooper principle of where Jedi are really great except when they need to die. And particularly, it's apparent when whenever they're fighting clones, they just don't use force powers at all. They just try to go against them with a laser sword. And that feels like it's a poor decision on that. Well, no, that's using the force, right? Because that they they use it, the force. It's part of the body of the force, yes. But it's it's less. They're less like using power to say rip all of their blasters out of their hands, which we know that they can do. They're less say using mind control on them. They're more just straight up trying to fight them. Now it's partly that they're on the defensive and being shot at, so maybe they have less of an ability to use a broader a broader array yeah, of skills. That's what it is, right? Because my, the, the, to rip the blasters out requires a lot of concentration from a standard Jedi knight, and I don't think I think they were just caught off guard. But like, I still would think one Jedi who has gone through the trials, Jedi Knight with a lightsaber, could beat three fucking clones. But what? it looks like they can't. Well, it may depend on relative abilities. Like, for example, we got to see Luke go just 
utter ham on some dark troopers. And he, Luke, being a proper master that he is, is using both the Force and his lightsaber in equal measure throughout that fight. And as a result, he's wrecking utter shop. Right, but and they did show... Luke is his own category. And they did show Yoda with the clones. And Yoda murked the clones as if they were, like, standard stormtroopers. I mean, it was, like, nothing yes. for him to cut through them. Um, so maybe that is. Maybe maybe we're just seeing the sort of relative abilities of the different Jedi. I mean, we do know that, like, the Jedi that we have seen... Yoda, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Anakin. These are the elite of the elite. These are the one percenters of the Jedi, right? So (laughs) that's kind of what, maybe what we're seeing here. Uh, Then we cut to Tatooine, presumably. Um, And this is 10 years later. Mm -hmm. The locals are all looking up a bunch of different species here that includes the Jawas. Love that the Jawas are in this series. Front and center. Wizitor's Lands. Very much an Imperial transport that they're on has major empire vibes in how they're dressed and how the transport looks and how they get they out and how they are placed. The whole thing. They're, they're not trying to hide a damn thing. These guys aren't trying to like blend in and act, and act subtly. They're landing on the main street. They're walking out wearing the most I am imperial look at me here kind of outfits. They are here to make a scene and have everybody pay attention. The Grand Inquisitor is the first one off. He's the bald guy. Um, with fifth brother in tow with Reva behind him. It's interesting to me how freaked, third sister, uh, third sister, sorry. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Reva, third fifth sister. It's interesting to me to see how freaked the fuck out the citizens are when the empire arrives. So here is something that this show has done very well. I think in the first episode is obviously there's been a change of leadership in the galaxy, right? Previously there was the old Republic. There was the Jedi that assisted the old Republic and they ruled and that has fallen in some capacity because there is now a singular ruler of the galaxy the emperor there Mm -hmm. still is a galactic senate and we will talk about that in later episodes i think as far Mm -hmm. as how the politics in this world at this moment seem to be a little bit different than they are in episode four a new hope so it seems to me that in the years from here to episode four a new hope the emperor continues to consolidate his power I agree, and that's a fun, that's a very important thing to call out. Remember, one of the most one of the big things that's mentioned one of the first times we meet Grand Moff Tarkin in Episode Four is the Emperor just did away with the Senate. Right, and everyone in the room is shocked. It's an institution. It is the, what the galaxy right. has been ruled throughout all, all, all the old world republic. The, the Emperor has been has been reading his Augustus from our, from Roman history. You got to be subtle. You got to take your time with getting rid of the old institutions, consolidating power. You throw everything out on the first day. People are going to ask questions. You wait 20 years and slowly chip it away. It just feels like natural progression. Yeah. And so what I was getting at about saying that, that what the show has done well is what they have captured is that this transfer of power is not akin to, say, like a, uh, a president, like a like change in president for the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. The folks who live in Appalachia. Right. Um when when it, it it flips from Trump to Biden or Biden to whoever, like they're they're day to day, they might like care because they're on mm-hmm. team whatever, but their day to day doesn't change all that much. That is not what's happened here in the galaxy. It has been a much more drastic change about how things go. Like the citizens are scared of the new rulers. When the empire comes, they they're scared. terrified. The empire will. When, they, when representatives of the Empire show up, they will acutely hurt the citizens, like in ways that the old Republic was not doing. So I think it's just a great representation of showing like when we see at the end of Return of the Jedi, all of the different planets cheering, there's a fucking reason, right? This is built up over the time of how the Empire has treated these planets and specifically the Outer Rim Territories. 
one of the things I also find interesting, too, is that in a lot of the new Star Wars media, everyone's just... If you're on the bad guy team, everybody kind of acts the same or has the same relative level of evil. It's right. interesting to see among the three, we'll call Inquisitor siblings, that they have a very different way of carrying out their business, and there is tension between the three of them as a result. And I rather like that, that each of them is going about their job in different ways that don't perfectly intersect. Yeah, so the Grand and Inquisitor... It, yep. The Grand Inquisitor asks... Go ahead. Go. Okay. Um, the Grand Inquisitor asks a local... Uh, what they are, um, and he says, well, you guys are Inquisitors, I guess. You hunt Jedi. I would say the Jedi hunt themselves. Jedi cannot help who they are. Their compassion leave a trail. That's a pretty good line. He explains that rumors run rampant in his line of business, and he heard that there was a Jedi in their fair city. The Jedi, in this uh, rumor, comes across this establishment, nice place, then he sees you, man in need. Perhaps the locals are stealing from you, threatening you, so what is the Jedi to do? Help you and risk exposure or move on? Now, if he were smart, he'd keep moving, but the Jedi code is like an itch. He cannot help. He steps in and saves your salon. You offer him a place to stay, but the stories travel. His compassion has been his undoing. And so, I love that we get this glimpse into how the Inquisitors sort of hunt the Jedi. In essence, they use the Jedi's goodwill against them. Because where mm -hmm. a Jedi shows up to help someone in accordance with the Jedi Code, that is what generates some gossip, some talking. The Inquisitors lean on that to hunt them down. And it becomes very important when we see how Obi-Wan is comporting himself later that he is not jumping in and helping people because he understands that this is how people are being, the Jedi are being hunted. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like... I enjoy a show, and this has been so long as modern Star Wars medium, that it's explicitly framing the Jedi as good guys, and that's being used against them. It's yep. been a while since we saw the Jedi as just good guys, honestly, or even focused on the positive aspects of them. And to see it now be actively wielded against them by the Inquisitors is a fun twist. Yeah, I, I, I like that in the um, Favreau Filoni canon, they're, they're really focusing on a lot of like the gray with the Jedi and the fact that you can, like, we've argued about this on previous pods, you can tap into the Force and not be a Jedi. Uh, this is the Obi-Wan series. The Jedi are going to be the good guys in the Obi-Wan series. This is not Favreau Filoni, right? Mm -hmm. um, Reva makes a move, throwing a knife right at the storm owner. She is, whew, man, she's been at those those trendy, those trendy downtown urban axe-throwing areas. Because she's good, man. She, whoop, she flipped well, that thing right at him. And would you agree that this is... Based on the reaction of her two siblings, this was not according to no, plan. She kind of did this not. of her own initiative. Oh, yeah. And we could anything Reva does from now until the end of episode two is not in accordance with the plans of the Grand Inquisitor. She goes off script every single time. But the knife stops right in front of the store owner's face because someone in the crowd, the Jedi, has stopped it. Mm -hmm. Reva's able to pick him right out. The Jedi goes on the run. The Grand Inquisitor says we need to interrogate him. He doesn't want to kill him. Reva starts to burn his arm with a lightsaber. Grand Inquisitor force pushes her. They get into an argument. And underlying this argument, and every argument that Reva has with the Grand Inquisitor, is the fact that Reva has been solely focused on getting Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan's mm -hmm. the big fish in their, in their world. He has their, their lord, Lord Vader's, former master uh, the guy that lord vader is most most fixated on getting i mean it's always been interesting to me that anakin was not super interested in going getting yoda but he did want obi-wan he, he certainly did and this is the big fish for the inquisitors and the argument that they're having is based on 
basically administration to this department. It's, hey, we get leads, we follow leads, we do the job. We don't we don't go off on our own half cocked to try to find the legendary largest fish in the pond. And that is what you're doing. You're kind of crazy. Stop doing it. It, it it's it's repeated almost to the point I feel like the show doesn't trust me because every single time we spend more than eight seconds with Reva, someone repeats, you're reckless and you need to stop focusing on Obi-Wan. It's like, show, I get it. You've said it like four times every time she shows up. Yep. Uh, cut to what looks like butchering of a great greater crate dragon, it looks like. That's what that oh, yeah. is, right? I don't know exactly what it is, but it makes some hell of impressive steaks. I mean, Proper wagyu kind of beef. We're sitting getting. We're, we're sitting be chopped and laid out here on this on, the, on this table. It looks like a greater crate dragon, just in size, and it see, and it does make a lot of sense that if one of these large businesses were to kill a greater crate dragon, that they, it would be industrial in scale and how you butcher it because the thing is oh, yeah. so fucking large. Um, I mean, we saw in um, Mandalorian people just walking in the carcass as if it was a football field. I mean, the thing was fucking huge. So. Oh, yeah. That seems to be the job that Obi-Wan has right now. Is he's butchering this this greater crate dragon at an industrial scale. On what what appears to be like a contract gig. This doesn't seem like regular employees kind of thing. It's like they're bringing in day laborers for the yeah, purpose of he's chopping a day up this dragon. Yeah, that's a good and, way to put it. Mm-hmm. And under <laughs> an agreed wage that's being immediately ignored. Yeah. Obi-Wan slips a little meat in his pocket. Seems done for the day as they're clocking out. The workers get stiffed on their wages. Bernie is unhappy. Bernie's in Vermont. He's not 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 happy with how the workers are being treated here. Obi-Wan across sees galaxies. It. Across galaxies, Bernie's still pissed. One percent, no one percent. Obi-Wan sees it, but related to the monologue we just heard by the Grand Inquisitor, feels he can't do anything about it. Uh, if he were to jump in now and assist, it would blow his cover. Mm-hmm. So this is Obi-Wan's life in hiding. We're just getting, we're getting a glimpse into his day-to-day. Uh, he's just another person, not a Jedi, not using the Force, not fighting for good. Clocking in, clocking out, keeping his head down. That's what our guy is doing. And uh, these initial moments with Obi-Wan of just very little dialogue, just seeing Hugh McGregor act with his face and act with his mannerisms for like the next six minutes of the episode until he, until he goes back to his cave and overlooks Luke for a certain period. My favorite moments of the episode. I love these quiet moments. I love just spending time with Ewan McGregor being Obi-Wan as Obi-Wan would be 10 years later being on his own, barely dealing with his problems. This is excellently well portrayed, my favorite part of it. I agree, and he's tapping into some, some serious pain that Obi-Wan has after the events of Revenge of the Sith. You see it on his face. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Ewan McGregor is always going to be a good-looking guy, but he does look weathered, he does look tired, and he does look pained. Um, we see him on a speeder, um, like a speeder bike thing. Um, uh, not a speeder bike, a, a little like a skiff type thing. It's the truck taking, taking the day laborers back from the farm. Yeah, he's on the he's on the bed of the truck, and presumably to what I think might be Mos Eisley, considering where Luke lives. Probably, yeah. Um, he goes to his camel-looking animal. Do you know what this animal is? I, they said its name at one point. I'm going to look it up right now because I had not seen one of these. I, I'd seen these before in Star Wars, but I never knew what their name was. Okay. So he starts to feed it the greater crate dragon meat. So that's what he's doing every day. That little bit of teeny little sliver of meat that he slips in. That's for his, his rider animal. Obi-Wan takes the animal out to the desert. Um, off to a little smaller settlement. I'm going to call this the suburbs. These are the burbs. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And during this whole scene, there's no dialogue, but there is... Really, really good music. I thought the music was it, great. It is an AOP. AOP, got it. Obi-Wan arrives at what looks like a rock. 
and uh, looks like some sort of small settlement. A droid pokes his head up and looks at him. Pretty funny reaction here from our guy, uh, Obi-Wan. I will say you and McGregor, great memory on him. He remembers that Obi-Wan does not like droids because the reaction is kind of like, oh, this fucking thing. It is not the same reaction we get from the Skywalker clan toward droids uh, later on in the episode. Obi-Wan goes inside. This looks like his home. Cooks himself a small dinner. Uh, it looks like he's eating one of these little food packets that are common in the Outer Rim territories. Mm -hmm. This is covered a lot in Star Wars media, but very specifically covered in the Ahsoka book. If you want to learn a little bit about these little food packets that are just everywhere in the Outer Rim territories for the poor, this is what Instant he's eating. Stew. Cut to a Jawa. And uh, who shows up and he's clearly got a good relationship with the job, right? They have a good rapport mm -hmm. and uh, pretty funny back and forth. Obi-Wan seems to be getting a toy of some sort. He's requested a toy from the Jawa. Jawa asks him if he needs anything else. He boasts that he has new salvage from a uh, old Jedi ship, which Obi-Wan does a pretty good job of not reacting to. Burying Pulls out man. a belt. It looks like a just a belt that has a little uh, lightsaber holster on it. And uh, Obi-Wan just looks at it says he heard that the Jedi are all but extinct. Heard, yeah. that, one, heard that line before. <laughs> all but, all but. Obi-Wan mm -hmm. gives the belt back, says goodbye, cut to the evening. Obi-Wan is having pretty severe PTSD from what happened in episode three. Yeah, go ahead. You left out my favorite part that the Jawas stole from him and then sold him back the part that he stole. Yeah, well, that's what Obi-Wan claims. I mean, the Jawa didn't necessarily cop to it, but... Jawa didn't, didn't deny it either. It's like... I think, I think Ogon even says, you know, if you're going to steal from me, at least you could clean it before you give it back. And the Jawa hesitates and goes, clean Cleaning costs extra. extra. Clean is extra. Love the Jawas. Um, I, I'll tell you my favorite mechanic in all of Tatooine once dated a Jawa. I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> it's come up, yes. Yeah, she knows a little bit about him. Um, all this PTSD that he's having, this is 10 years after the events of Episode 3. It makes me wonder what his first couple years were like. Because I am sure... It, I mean, it, if he's having these types of vivid dreams now and waking up and basically begging for Qui-Gon to come help him, I can't imagine what the first couple years were like. I mean, Obi-Wan seems to have really suffered these last 10 years. Pointedly alone the entire time, too. I, I have to imagine this guy has been living in this cave as alone as humanly possible, only working when necessary for 10 years. Just adopting... This man just needs somebody to talk to. Like, dude, I know you don't like droids, but talk to the one that you buried in the sand out front. Please, find a friend. Here's what doesn't make sense to me about the Obi-Wan storyline. Is Obi-Wan, when he was um, uh, a Jedi Knight, or actually I think he was a Padawan at this point, he did fall in love and have a courtship with the heir to the throne in Mandalore, the Princess mm -hmm. of Mandalore. This is covering Clone Wars. So, sure. um, Obi-Wan clearly does not think of himself as a Jedi right now. He said, the Jedi are dead. Uh, I, this is not my life. He hasn't used the Force in 10 years, for God's sakes. Wouldn't he just shack up? Wouldn't he find a woman? I know, because that might distract him. We know him he's got that gear. Be, yeah, I think I, I think as we see as we see in the course of this episode, I think he almost views anything that is not his purpose as an unnecessary distraction. He is here to watch the boy. That is it. Every, everything else has been abandoned. All other aspects of what he was or what he could be are gone. He is as almost a form of penance. A, made his entire life objective to make sure the boy is protected and safe. So I think like another relationship he would view as almost insulting 
to the crimes that he's committed that he's trying to make up for. You got there. You eventually got there. Where I think it, where, where I think the reality is, and the reality is, I don't think Obi Wan believes that he has the right to be happy. That sure. he thinks that what happened after with Anakin, I failed you. I failed you, Anakin. The destruction of the Jedi. I mean, every everything collapsing around him, feeling responsible for a large this part of that. I think he doesn't think he deserves to be happy, so he probably doesn't uh, shack up with a woman for that reason. I don't think it's because of the Jedi code. Um, in this PTSD, in this dream that he has, we do get more Yoda. So they are again, really, yes, really giving us a lot of Yoda. It's pretty strange. I, I just kind of is he going to show up in Dagobah in like Episode Four? Like, what the fuck's going on? Here? <sighs> The fact that we get Leia and Alderaan and Jimmy Smiths, who I know actually is a name in Star Wars, but it's totally Jimmy Smiths. It, I don't know what the limits on this show are. They are going to wherever they want with the canon. They are making canon as they go. I, I can't assume that we might, might not he, just have Yoda on Dagobah. Yeah, he might. I don't think. I don't think. I would be alarmed, shocked, unhappy if they had Yoda come to Tatooine. But if he goes to Dagobah, Ooh. sure. I, l- let's call that a proper line in the sand. That that, that feels like I'd be very wrong. That would be too far. Uh, cut to the next morning. We see a cool little desert creature in the camera. Uh, I like those little details that they throw in in the show. That is another thing that makes this feel like the big screen to me. That that little sand mm-hmm. creature that we saw, that... Little kangaroo rat kind of thing, yeah. That thing, that probably cost 50 grand to put in there. True, yeah, yeah. Then we see Obi-Wan riding his... What is it? Aope? 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 E- E-O-P-I-E. However you want to pronounce that. Aope? Uh, mm-hmm. Back into town, we see um, Obi-Wan using some sort of binoculars to look on to the Lars. We know that these are the Lars. These are the uncles uh, oh, to... Owen and Beru. <laughs> Owen and Bo. Uh, Beru. Yeah, you're right. Beru. And we see young Luke. Uh, he's got goggles on and he's imagining he's driving around. So he's a little Hellcat, little young Luke. He's on yeah. on top of the 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 little dome of the igloo, the sand igloo that he's in. He's like, mm-hmm. again, again, wonderful character actor in Ewan McGregor's part. Him watching Luke, and you could just almost just see him immediately flashing back to Anakin. He's seeing Luke do yeah. that. He's like, Ewan McGregor, very good actor. W- wonderful to have him back. He's pod racing. He's doing a pod racing video game. Yes, he is. Um, maybe, or maybe he's doing the uh, the. Remember that speeder bike Star Wars game where you're fl- you're going through. Indoor? Oh God, through through indoor going through. It was the so trees fucking hard. I ate so many quarters in that damn game. Tough one. Cut to the evening. So I guess Obi Wan just waited there all day, and he goes in and he leaves the toy. Obi Wan, tattooing Santa Claus. Pretty cool. <laughs> Fits. Uh, after he drops the toy, he takes off. He senses someone around him. We get visuals on that someone else. And the Jedi walks up to him. This is the Jedi that had the confrontation with the Inquisitors in the Tatooine Cantina before. And he is approaching Obi-Wan. He clearly knows who Obi-Wan is. He and does. And he's a... Go ahead. He does. And he lays out, you know, that you got to help me. They're after me. How can you just abandon me and abandon the code? All this? But main thing I'm getting out of this scene from when we see him before is that this guy's got more moxie than sense the fact that he's approaching obi-wan and open the fact he was just even sitting in a public bar under that kind of risk when he saw inquisitors land this guy means well but it's been a miracle he survived this long first thing obi-wan says to him is you're making some kind of mistake uh, by even approaching me um and then uh no I, i don't think it's just a denial i think he's saying the action of you approaching me here is a mistake true 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 um Obi-Wan 
uh, does offer help in the sense of uh, some advice that says, take this, your lightsaber, walk into the middle of the desert, bury it, and live a normal life. That is what Obi-Wan has for this guy. And he says, what about the fight, Obi-Wan? The fight is done. We lost. The fight is done. We lost. A tragic line. What happened to you? You were once a great Jedi. The time of the Jedi is over, he says. Which and is, that kind of holds. It, it, it kind of holds, and it's an interesting parallel to Luke's line in uh, The Last Jedi, too, as well, of where these are two guys that are utterly broken, that they've lost what they believed in, they feel a certain element of responsibility for it. But in some respects, they ultimately make very different life choices for how to go about that. Obi-Wan tells him to go back to the town and to, quote, let it go. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Then we see a young girl getting dressed by maids, presumably Leia. I thought this was Leia as soon as we saw it. I was like, ooh, little girl, <laughs> looks very nice, got a lot of handmaids. Could it's be intended Leia. to be Leia. It's supposed to be Leia. They're on a timetable here, goddammit, Leia. In comes Brea Organa. She approaches the, st- the, the child, starts telling her the plans for the day, then the veil is lifted. We see it's not Leia. She insisted you'd find it amusing. So, Leia, little cut up. She's a little it- cut up. Is everyone in that room fired? Is everyone in that room just now lost their jobs or are peeling potatoes for the next three weeks? Nah, they probably know that Leia made them do it. Um, Brea uh, naturally deduces Leia would be in the force, which she is, running, climbing, training, very Dagobah-like. She's doing her little 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 Yoda training there in the woods. Leia has a droid friend. Why? Because one rule of Star Wars is that everyone in the Skywalker clan love droids. All of mm-hmm. them. Light, dark side, doesn't matter. They all love droids. They're watching ships and making up backstories to them. Um, we've seen that before in the Star Wars universe, haven't we? Where the, the, the ships are going out, they're making up lines I, on it. We, we have seen it before. We've also, we often seen people also just, you know, when they're alone, just kind of watching ships fly off and pondering what their future will be. We saw it in Luke. We saw it in Rey. It's it's kind of a hallmark of our main, of main character Star Wars syndrome is imagining what your future will bring through watching ships take off. Brea comes up, tells her to get down. She does. Leia clearly has a good relationship with her adopted parents, though, because we see her um, eventually hug her her, her mom and, and say, I'm yeah. sorry, or whatever. For the purpose of stealing the droid back from her. But yes, it was also little, there, too. Little column A, little column B. Uh, Leia just dropped this line, though. All I ever do is wave. And she says, you do more than wave. Well, welcome to 21st century royalty, Leia. It's, this, is, this is all we're allowed to do now. You get out of this what you put into it. So she's trying to teach her about the, the life of being a royal, basically. Leia apologizes, hugs her, takes the droid back. Cut to Obi-Wan getting off work. He takes a small piece of meat, cleans his knife, and off he goes. So this is another day, Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. We're seeing another day for Obi-Wan. Back to the speeder. Um, Yeah, just getting a sense of how mundane his life is. Cut to what? Owen. Uh, he gives the toy back to Obi-Wan, tells Obi-Wan to leave him alone. Credit to the actor who plays Owen. I thought he did well for a limited role. I also thought that this guy really heavily watched New Hope and the actor on that because he was almost copying the mannerisms pretty well, yeah. too. So cre- yeah. credit to this guy for a small part. Very farmer. Very like, like I, I drive a big truck type guy. Arms up on stuff, boots, mm-hmm. you know, like very like physical in, in the role. Uh, Obi-Wan asks if he's okay. You don't care if he's okay. You care if he's showing for those uninitiated in the Star Wars universe. That means, is he showing an aptitude toward the Force is basically what uh, Owen is alluding to. Obi-Wan says the boy is his responsibility. We talked about this. When the time comes, he must be trained. He must be trained. (laughs) I promised Qui-Gon. Wait, no. The time comes. Time comes, he must be trained. 
Owen throws Anakin in Obi-Wan's face like he trained his father. Ooh, snap burn. Mm. Owen mentions that Anakin is dead. Now, here, I thought that he was referring to the fact that, to what we got at the start of episode four, which was Ben still saying that Anakin is dead because Anakin, the person died, Darth Vader was birthed, not that this physical person was really dead, right? I still thought they were talking in metaphor about Anakin dying. I still hadn't picked up that Obi-Wan didn't realize that Anakin survived. Um, the, I have the high ground, Anakin, I have the high ground. Yeah, it's one of those things before. It made sense. It made a lot of sense in universe that the majority, everyone in the galaxy thinks Anakin Skywalker is dead to the degree they even knew he existed, and that Darth Vader is his own person. Those two have nothing in common. Makes sense. But we always just kind of assumed that Obi Wan would be in the know on that point. Doesn't appear like they're playing it that way. Yeah, but Reva knows. So I'm very confused as to who knows. Does Reva know? Yeah, we find out in episode two because she's the one that drops the bomb to Uh, Obi Wan. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, Owen tells Anakin, I won't let you make the same mistake twice, so leave him on the farm with his family where he belongs. Owen walks off, but outside is Fifth Brother and Reva. Fifth Brother's asking for the Jedi. Reva says, they'll be punished. Hands go first. So she just, right to an 11. Right to an 11. And Mm -hmm. the other Inquisitor is looking at her the whole time, like, stop doing this craziness. Some woman there thinks it's a good idea to challenge uh, the the geopolitical uh, status of Tatooine as an Outer Rim territory and says, you don't have authority here. The Outer Rim territories are under the protection of, ah, lost man. Reva comes up, cuts her hand off. This is the kind of person that sees a bear in their trash and goes outside to hit them on a stick, hit them with a stick to make them get out of their trash. Yeah, like, you don't belong here, bear. Bad bear, leave. This is, your, this, this is my trash, not your trash. Oh God, the bear ate my hand. Who saw this coming? Yeah. So at this point in the story, um, I believe uh, the Outer Rim Territories are independent. I don't believe that they're under the control of the Galactic Senate, therefore under control of the Empire. And that is what she's alluding to, that they are, mm-hmm. an, it's an independent uh, series of nation states, uh, planets, but nation states in, in they're, effect. They reach their own city state effectively. Or but if anybody, state, if anybody thinks that Tatooine is not under the uh, control of the Emperor, they're not paying attention. No, and that just became readily apparent to all present. And very much looked like it was going to be readily apparent to uh, Owen here in a moment, too. Well, well, we know Owen's got plot armor because we see him in episode four. So this is another thing that this show is going to be challenged by. And that is that some of the characters we know do not die. So when they put them in situations where it looked like they might die, I get a little bored, uh, to mm-hmm. be honest. Because I know Owen's not going to die. So she's there. She puts the, the lightsaber to Owen's neck. She asks him about the Jedi. Owen, great poker face. Might not even be a poker face. Might be real. Says the Jedi are vermin. I hate them. I kill vermin on my farm. You ain't got no problem with me and a Jedi. I, I, uh, I thought that was a... I thought that was very clever on his part because if she's like reading his thoughts and emotions right now, all she's going to be getting, I bet, is truth with respect to each of those lines. Hey, the, the, gr- yeah. the man does not like the Jedi. He likes individuals, okay. He does. He purposely is not selling out Obi Wan. He respects that. But the Jedi is an order. The Jedi is an institution. I'm willing to perfectly believe he does not view them as a net positive. Fifth brother doesn't like her actions here, but Reva does start a speech, and I believe psychologist that i am on the manga talks podcast i always am uh breaking down people psychologically trying to figure out what their their psychological deal is just guessing here spencer i think she's talking to herself more than she's talking to the people here about the jedi 
um, explaining the Jedi are cowards. They abandon everyone. She claims Including that if me. you guys are protecting the Jedi, uh, well, suckers that you are, the Jedi would not be doing the same for you. Trust me. She mm -hmm. pulls out a lightsaber. Obi-Wan clearly affected by all of this, but does not move, Doesn't does not move. react. Now, this is the first time the prospect of a potential 1v1 with Reva and Obi-Wan comes up. It will come mm -hmm. up again in episode two and presumably on through the series. Now, I would like for the record to state this. Obi-Wan Kenobi has defeated Darth Maul in 1v1 yeah. combat twice. Uh -huh. He defeated Anakin fucking Skywalker in 1v1 combat. Yep, over fucking lava. The best of my understanding, Obi-Wan Kenobi has never lost 1v1. And this chick is a partially trained, some years ago, pseudo-fake, like, Sith apprentice thing. I understand they need to build some tension here, Spencer. Mm -hmm. But scholar that I am, I find it terribly hard to believe that Reva would ever have a remote chance to beat Obi-Wan one-on-one. I find it kind of hard to believe that Reva is third sister. That she's this high up on the to that she's this high up on the totem pole, honestly, from what we're seeing of her. Ambition. Well, ambition, and she embodies some aspects of the Sith creed in terms of her focus on immediate power and gratification and accomplishment and willing to burn all cities necessary to bring that about. Um... I will say it's a bit of a it's a bit of a low point in the episode for me that the acting of the actress who plays third sister, uh, particularly in this first episode, kind of rough. It comes across as being, I maybe it's maybe she's just purposely kind of go for an element of over the top cheese by you know almost just chewing the scenery with how evil she is. But I found her the least. I I struggled to take her seriously in most of the scenes that she was in. She is supposed to be annoying. So that's where I think the actress probably had trouble because I agree it didn't it didn't work for me either. But I think that the direction she got was they're supposed to hate you. You're the wrestling heel. Like they're not mm -hmm. supposed to like you. You're supposed to be annoying every time you're on screen. And she does accomplish that. But sometimes it takes me out of it a little bit, like with the realism aspect. So I, I'm with you. I don't think she knocked this one out of the park. Yeah. But she was playing a wrest. She was playing the heel. It, it, I, you can play the heel. And be still be charismatic to the office th to the audience through being the heel. You don't have to be somebody that the audience rolls their eyes at. That's not a compelling heel. So if that was the stage direction they gave her, I think they set her up for a certain element of failure. Well, I had the thought here, and I had it a lot in episode two, and I'm sure I will continue. Mm -hmm. That I understand that Obi Wan's been in hiding ten years. He hasn't used the Force for ten years. I got that, but I also understand it's Obi Wan fucking Kenobi, who. Yeah. Who, <laughs> this chick has no fucking chance to be Obi Wan one on one, and she will die in this series when she she gets one on one with Obi Wan because he, but, Obi Wan traveled to fucking Tatooine just to kick Darth Maul's ass one more time in the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. He beat Anakin when Anakin was at the height of his powers and as angry and possessed as he possibly could be. Obi-Wan still got him. Reva stands no chance to beat Obi-Wan 1v1. You, you also noted that she, she has a bit of the element of, a bit of the element of the curse of canon, too. Of where we know Obi-Wan makes it to episode four. We know Reva has never otherwise been seen in any Star Wars media. And we know that she would not stop if she knew Obi-Wan was still alive. So, processing those data points, she is not long for this, we'll say, galaxy. Yeah, she's going to jump on his ass and get beat soon. I That mm -hmm. is my prediction. Uh, but anyway, uh, here we have um, 
back to the recap, uh, fifth brother pulls third sister, Reva, aside and basically gives her the one-two. Like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? You are out of your mind and calls out yet again. This is to your point. They hit this every time. They have this conversation between Inquisitors, which is, you're focusing on Obi-Wan uh, again. He does ask her a very good question, though. He says, what do you think you're going to get? What do you think you will gain by capturing him? And I think she just said, when I'm old. That's what I got. That's what. That's all I heard her say in response. When I'm old, and then she walked off. I, I don't remember the exact line, but it was it was something just kind of ambiguous. She said, "When like, I'm old," and I don't understand that. That confused the hell out of me. Like you, my assumption for all of this is that you know my assumption when watching episode one was that she was the black girl that we saw at the beginning, and she's got a personal grudge that she got abandoned by the Jedi, abandoned maybe in particular by Obi-Wan in some shape or form, and so was left with the Sith, and she's still holding a personal grudge that's informing a lot of her rage, hate, and resentment that's powering her dark side, effectively. That that that, that was my assumption of what we saw in episode one going forward. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Obi-Wan thanks Owen after this is all over. Owen says, I didn't do it for you. Question. Pause. Roop. Let's put a break on the vehicle here spencer who do you do it for if he didn't do it for owen or uh ben i i mean effectively i thought we had three options when it came to this either he's lying to obi-wan and he actually did it for him which i don't think that was true either mm -hmm. option b he did it for his family eh, you know possible enough either option uh, option three may have done it for his brother let's let, let's leave open that element too could have could have done it for his brother i think he did it for luke I think he knew that uh, eventually Luke. Luke that um, too, family. Yeah, I think I think eventually he knew that Luke would uh, would develop a relationship with Ben in some capacity. I mean, you know, fuck, he's Santa Claus. He's bringing him toys and shit. He knows that that's going to be a relationship at some point in the future. I don't. Know. Uh, do, do you think Luke found the toys and uh, Owen took them away from him? Hundred percent, absolutely. Dick move. Dick. Move. Awful. Awful. Keep the toys. I, I also uh, head canon is that Ben brought it right back. So I, I think Luke eventually got the toy. Hmm. Cut to Alderaan. Go ahead. We don't we actually know. We, actually, I just thought about this. We didn't. Is see it the, the full same toy that we see in episode four? I think it's the little T sixteen speeder we see Luke playing around with at one at one point. So I think it that's actually be. in canon. You got the toy back. Yeah, it might be. Um, cut to Alderaan. I gotta say, after all these years, we get to see Alderaan is so cool. Now you have famously not been answering your text messages for days, so I've just stopped texting you for my thoughts. But. If you had been answering your text messages, you would have gotten this text because I was formulating it in my mind. The more we see Alderaan on screen, mm -hmm. the more fucking my blood boils at Grand Moff Tarkin. Like I am watching this planet and I'm like, I mean, it, it's one thing to intellectually understand it's a planet in and, and episode four. When you see it off in the distance, you know Leia is from there and he blows it up. That's one thing. It's a whole different thing for me, dummy that I am, to see this fucking planet, the infrastructure that's there, the history, the the territories that, that uh, Bail Organa is talking about, and to know that in a few short years it's going to be dust is, yeah. is tough. That's a tough one. Yeah. What we saw in New Hope was, we saw it in Leia's reaction, we saw it in Obi-Wan's reaction too, millions of voices crying out in terror mm. and suddenly silenced. Mm. And th those were effective, but... Now they have a human face. Now yeah. we understand them as a people, as a culture, as a history, as an identity that is going to be snuffed out in a heartbeat. That does indeed hurt. It also hurts from our perspective where this is the first, I think, in the like, actual filmed canon we've seen Alderaan. It is. And like, yep. 
We've for seen them in seen video it. games, we've seen them in stories and histories, everything else, but live action TV, live action movies, seeing Alderaan played out like this, it has a nostalgia ping just by itself, just by and, existing. And I think they did this for a reason, to be emotionally affecting, but Alderaan looks the most like Earth of any of these fucking planets that we've seen. It does. It does. Um, and that's the one that gets reduced to literal dust out into the universe. That son of a bitch, Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, I don't like him. Um, uh, hey, you want to talk about compelling villains? Peter Cushing did a masterful job with that character. What a son of a bitch. Oh, I'm mad at him every time I see Alderaan on screen. The Organa family is greeting some family visitors, it seems. Leia's greeted by a cousin who seems a little older, a little taller than she is. I'm going to pause right here and I'm going to say this. If you have something bad to say about young Leia as portrayed in this series, I'm going to need you to get another podcast and say it to another host. Mm-hmm. Because no, I no. am absolutely charmed by this little girl. I, I, I was a little bit worried at first. Just because the kids that we got in like the Jedi Temple were not great for the no. two lines that they had. Agreed. Uh, so I was a little bit worried about, oh, this is going to be a kid-focused show. And there's going to be a lot of child actors. And that is going to be probably bad. This little actress acts like she's 15. It's impressive. She's got a lot of maturity for the role. She's clearly workshopped and prepared to be almost Leia mannerisms her physical appearance is very Leia that I would imagine at that particular age. Yeah. But even her general bearing is pretty well done. She's still a kid. you got to get used to it to a certain degree. But honestly, I think she's doing a pretty damn good job so far. For me, I have not read the reviews of this because I like to give our thoughts on pod without going sure. through and reading a bunch of reviews, right? So I don't know what the world is saying about this. She stole the show from me. Little late because I thought we. Uh, when you tell me we're going to get Obi Wan Kenobi, it's going to start in Tatooine. It's ten years after the uh, Revenge of the Sith. I thought we're getting like young Luke. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. They did a little whoop switcheroo on me. Now I got young Leia. Wasn't quite expecting that, and she is charming as all fuck off. That the little girl in Episode One and Two has 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 stolen the show for me. I'm going to tell you what scene. What scene convinced me I was okay with this and it was going to be good. We're going to get to it in a minute. Her and Jimmy Smith's hanging out on that balcony. Yeah. That yeah. scene just crystallized that, oh, this is charming, and I'm just smiling ear to ear, and I don't know why. What's happening right now? We see Leia on a transport. She is waving to the crowd, so she does have oh, to do some waving. She's not Queen kidding. She, she, she's right. She has to do hey, some waving. Her wave is masterful. That is, a, that is a perfect little wave right for that scene right there. At some reception later, Bale is trying to talk about issues with the Empire, and he's cut off, and... I got the sense from that scene that it's Bail Organa reading the tea leaves here. He know, he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows we have sincere, real problems in the galaxy that with the way that the Emperor has taken over and the way he's managing things. Um, but it seems as though a lot of people, as long as the wine is still flowing and the food is still there, don't care, right? And I mean, we get that in politics a lot throughout human I'm history. Not- I'm not sure of the new canon for how they're going to do the timeline, but it may be perfectly possible within this series we get to see Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Garbel Ibis form the Rebel Alliance. Probably. And that'll be a hell of a thing to see. Cut to Leia. She thanks her droid for something, and her cousin says, you don't have to thank a droid. Sir! Sir! She's a Skywalker. Skywalker's like droids. That is rule number one in Star Absolutely. Wars canon. Sir! I need you mm-hmm. to fucking tighten up. He says, you don't need manners when talking to a lower life form. Then I guess I don't need manners when talking to you. Woo! Oh, snap. Get it. Uh, The cousin then gets nasty. Calls her out for not being an Organa. 
She says, uh, he says, that's why she doesn't leave the planet. Her parents don't want anyone to know about her. Leia then says, you're scared of him, your father. You want him to like you. So you repeat what he says. You think being like him will make people frightened of you, but you're the one who's scared. You've never made one decision in your entire life. I may not see much, cousin, but I can see that. Right in that moment, this cousin, red hat, right? Like a uh, non-playable yeah. character. We don't care about the cousin. What we do care about is that young Leia will sack your ass up in a second. Loved that, enjoyed it, and she continues to do so throughout these two episodes. Uh, cut to uh, uh, the Organa's approaching Leia about this situation, and she correctly says he was being awful. Leia then storms off and says, I am not apologizing. This if you think I'm apologize, you have got another thing coming. Do you think that this is... Leia's read on this guy. Is this just her being uh, the daughter of a diplomat, you know, being well, very effective at reading people? Or are we getting a suggestion that she's showing in her own way, too? Oh, I think she's definitely showing. I mean, she's she um, she has an ability to intuit other people's feelings, emotions, motivations in a way that I think is not nat not natural. And I think that comes from tapping into the force and the life forces around around us right um, because possible. we know we know that like the ability to use the force will enhance leadership right as well as mm -hmm. um and and personal interactions as well as your ability to just sort of jump from tree to tree because that is how it shows in palpatine that is yep. how he shows is his ability to talk to you and then walk away going I know exactly where the button is on that motherfucker that I can press. Yeah, it's important to know that I would say the majority of the force is expressed in much more subtle ways than I telekinetically pull something across the room. Right. It is embodied in your person in a complete fashion. Yeah. And you, by the way, got to watch out for magnets. Just have to be very careful. Um, <laughs> he tells her a story. The bail comes up to Leia. And this is the scene I think you were talking about, Bail Organa. He tells her a story about how he wanted to live. When he was a kid, he wanted to live way over past the mountains. He wanted to live a long way, 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 way. But he got a little older. He started chasing her mother, Breha. Uh, bail says this is her life. And one day she'll have to be a senator. Says so she doesn't, she says, predictably, I don't want to be a senator. Bale says, that's probably why you'll be one of the best. And we mm -hmm. know that young Leia uh, does go on to be a senator at a very, very, very young age and a very good one at that. Um, she's, uh, Bale reinforces that she is an Organa. I think this is a very important message to give to any child who's been adopted. You are as much a part of this family as anybody else. Like the, mm -hmm. when you are adopted into a family, by Lee's right. life canon, by my say, hand on table, you are as much a part of that family as anybody else. So cut the crap of you're not blood inherited that that stupid cousin was doing. Yeah, there, uh, there, and that is, is what Bale's trying to reinforce to her. There is no second class citizen when it comes to being a, being a child of a family. That's not how this works. Not how you should ever, ever view yourself. Yeah. And the cool part, right, is that because she's adopted, she can be, she's kind of both. She is an mm -hmm. Organa. But she's also a fucking Skywalker. So it's kind of, she kind of has a not, cooler resume than everybody else. Not that she knows. Not that she knows at this point. No. But for now, she will apologize. And Leia agrees. And he says, I'll wait for you downstairs. And Leia gives him a look and then promptly runs outside because Leia is the fucking best. And this is my second favorite scene of the episode. I utterly adored the chemistry between them. Jimmy Smith is a national treasure playing Bail Organa. Mm -hmm. And even just. 
I was smiling ear to ear throughout all of it. I also loved and almost seemed like it was unscripted. The little like it's like a little pinky shake that the two of them do yeah, before they, they have run the off. Yeah, the pinky shake. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, adorable, well played scene, and it sold me on not only being it being great to see Bail Organa back, but that little Leia. Okay, I, I think I'm gonna like this. I love it. I love how she's like, "Yep, got it, Dad. You're right. I will apologize." And he he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go downstairs." And he's like, "Oh, she's like, okay, me too." And then she goes right outside. That's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, Cut to the Organas. Uh, they're like, shit, again. So they send people after her, but not urgent enough. Why? Because we cut to the woods and Leia runs into probably the best bassist from any alternate rock band of the 1990s, <laughs> Flea. Big yeah. Flea fan. He, I mean, he, he, he does do the funk slap bass extremely well. A lot of mm-hmm. heavy bass lines in the 90s stuff for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So shout out to Flea, who is in this... Uh, he says he was waiting for her. She takes off. We get a little chase scene that did nothing for me. I think we could have cut that chase scene completely. Can can, can I say, I'm, I think this show does things very well. And I think this production team does things very well. They so far do not do action at anywhere near the level that I've that, that Mandalorian has established. And this chase scene kind of embodies, I think, kind of the average of what we've seen so far, unfortunately. We can cut that chase scene completely, in my opinion. But Leia is eventually caught. Cut to Bale and Briha calling Obi-Wan. They're asking for his help. Um, it is interesting that Obi-Wan keeps a cell phone. He does have an emergency does. cell phone. <laughs> it, it's a burner. It, 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 it's, it's not one that they can trace or anything else. He's probably going to smash it on a rock the moment this conversation's done. But he has but a cell phone. You can get to him, which I thought was pretty interesting because there that shows me. That there's still that little 1% of Obi-Wan that goes, you know what? I still do have a role in all of this because people yeah. need people might need to get to me. Uh, unlike me, Obi-Wan takes calls when it's important. Yeah, unbelievable, right? Okay, yeah, you, take note, Spencer. He right. says they should get someone from the Senate, which I thought was interesting. Well, did you, he, did you catch that from Obi-Wan? He yeah, says Obi-Wan you should get somebody from the Senate to do this. Obi-Wan goes down a list. Like, why aren't you asking the Senate? Why aren't you asking your own damn guards? Yeah, it's spaghetti against the microwave, right? He's seeing what sticks. But he starts with the Senate, which I thought was interesting. And I am going to get my Spencer on and poke holes in the pot here. Because Bale says, well, we don't want to draw too much attention to her. And this jives with what they had written into the, the, the script when the cousin was talking to Leia and saying, that's why you never leave the planet, because they don't want anybody to know you're here. It mm-hmm. seems that they are writing this, suggesting that the Organas are trying to keep Leia somewhat secret. Yeah. But Leia becomes a senator later. It's not like yeah. she's a hidden person. Like she, she literally goes to Coruscant and becomes a senator. Like this doesn't jive. This is one of the things with the elements of the plot that I, I felt this was kind of forced of where they just want to they want to bring the established assets together in terms of giving Obi-Wan a reason to go after Leia. All of this felt kind of forced. I don't really get why they would call Obi-Wan in particular. Maybe it makes a certain element of sense because he trusts him more than anyone. But I don't like the idea that they're keeping her hidden. It doesn't make sense. No, because it, she's obviously not hidden because she, she becomes a senator and Bale knows she's going to become a senator because he tells her you're going to be a senator one day. So yeah. she can't. She's not being hidden. She she isn't because I mean all the all the populace of Alderaan knows about her. So that's obviously not being hidden anyway. All so she does is wave. Would get out anyway. Yeah, but they know she exists. So I don't particularly like this. 
if they want to establish a plot of Obi-Wan going after Leia, fine. I can I, I can I can work with that. That could be great. If they want to establish Bale and Obi-Wan getting back together again, great. They're two wonderful actors that work well together. This particular reason for calling Obi-Wan did not work for me, and the aspect of keeping her hidden also did not work for me. I would have written this completely different. I would have had Bale and, and Bria call Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan to immediately snap to and go, what? What? What happened? They took who? Okay. All right. Uh, hold on. Hold on. I, 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 okay. All right. I'll do it. Because that makes more sense than this like weird forced, like you're the only one that can do it in the galaxy. It would make more sense for, for Obi-Wan to snap too and go, hold, hold on. I do have a responsibility to these Skywalker children. I mean, I, I get the PTSD they want to put into him that he's dedicated all of his last 10 years to Luke and has almost gotten tunnel visioned as a result of that. I'm willing to buy that. But the fact that Bale has to go in person to try to convince him to get his head on straight is... The fact that no. Bale shows up in person is a little bit... Yeah, that's, that's kind of strange. Uh, so, uh, Ben does hit them with this, though. He says, it's been 10 years. I'm not who I used to be. Yeah. Find someone remember, else. She'll be better off. I'm not who I used to be. We are... All of us sports fans everywhere that have that Venn diagram of sports and Star Wars, this is really hit in the middle, right? Right, because it's like it's like the the athlete that they're asking to come out of retirement. Come on, MJ, come back for one more game. And it's like I'm not that guy anymore. I can't do it, and I'm sorry. I'm going to let you down. Yeah. Cut to how long ago now, guys? Come on, please. Cut to Leia and Flea and his crew. I'll say this about young Leia: she clearly understands she's in danger. Mm-hmm. But she also doesn't mind telling these guys to fuck themselves. Like it's it's it absolutely is in line with how Leia comports herself in episode four, five, and six. She will recognize danger. She will respond to danger. But if you capture her, she will kick you in the shins. I I adored that. That felt very accurate in terms of the character read. I, like like you said, it's perfectly on read. Of this is the Leia that walked up to Grand Moff Tarkin and said, "Grand Moff Tarkin, I should have known. I should have smelled your foul stench when I was brought aboard." Something along, along those yep, lines. Yep. It, this is the Julius Caesar of telling the telling the pirates, "I'm going to have you all killed when I get out of this kind of thing," and it, it's great. It's perfectly in character for her. Cut to Obi Wan uh, working. It's a day number three, Groundhog Day. Uh, he takes his meat, gets on the speeder, goes back to the city, and then uh, we see the Jedi strung up in the town circle. Dad, mm-hmm. uh, I think Reva did this, right? I don't think Grand yeah. Inquisitor. This is not. This does not seem in comporting. Like, I think the Grand Inquisitor would take him back for interrogation and if he was executed he'd be done so on Coruscant I don't think he would just kill him right here in the town square as you said the Grand Inquisitor if he is indeed a higher ranked Jedi seems to be bringing a certain element of Jedi calm to the character and how he goes about his business of where it's methodical it's organized there is a procedure attached to this and it's not about being flashy and it's not about terrorizing the populace in an unnecessary manner Reva ain't that shit Reva is chaotic evil Sith and adores it yeah Obi-Wan does see this, though. Uh, he then gets back to his rock house cave, whatever you want to call it. He gets in. Guess who's there? Bail Organa. Got some mm-hmm. problems with this. How the fuck would Bail Organa find his cave? No, no, how would no he know? How would he, how would he be able to get to him when he gets... I, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. I don't like that he even had a cell phone, honestly. I, that, that feels like it's an unnecessary risk. I, I, the fact that he apparently left a forwarding address, because there's no I other like human that, way... I like that though. I like that he, there's a way to get up with him because that because and I mentioned it before because that tells me that he hasn't completely shut himself off from the rebellion. 
Okay, but can we agree that having a cell phone is one thing, leaving a forwarding address is a completely different animal? Because how, how, uh, the, how the hell else would Bail Organa just find him on the entire planet? I, I don't know. It's in my notes that I feel like that's a plot hole. Um, uh, so, uh, he pushes him. Uh, Bail Organa mm-hmm. continues to push Obi-Wan. Uh, and Obi-Wan says he can't help him. He has to help the boy. And then Bail Organa fires back with this potential line of the episode. This isn't about the boy and you know it. You've made mistakes. We all have. You couldn't save Anakin, but you can save her. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes on to call Leia his daughter, but he does lean on the Leia-Anakin connection to motivate Obi-Wan, I believe. Yeah, she's as important as he is. You've, yeah. got, you've, got, to under, you've got to remember that. Obi-Wan, in a very real moment, great, great, great writing. All the Star Wars writers who listen to this podcast, I'd like to give you a... One of these right here. Obi-Wan Proper says, class. what if I can't? I like that. Loved like that, that one. Loved yes. it. What if I can't? Bale doesn't answer that. He says, there's no one I trust more with my child. Please, old friend. One last fight. Woo! Let's I, ride! I, I, I'm straight there with you. What if I can't is... I'm just going to say, that was my line of the episode right there. Because just because of the wonderful acting that goes into it. It's a simple line... But it is so perfectly embodying what they want us to think about the Obi-Wan right now. The vulnerability of Obi-Wan right now. This is a guy who has lived in his failure for 10 years without any other thought but that. And now he's being asked to go on another heroic mission again. And he doesn't think he can survive failing again. Doesn't think he can do it. And us, I'm going to speak for all the Star Wars community right here. We all know that when Obi-Wan Kenobi gets pressed 1v1... Obi-Wan Kenobi does not lose. He is the <laughs> at Floyd. Any level, at any time. He's the Floyd Money Wayweather of the fucking Star Wars universe. He does not get beat. Even when he gets killed by Darth Vader, he warned him beforehand that you will not be defeating me by doing this. In fact, you'll be screwing yourself over. He meant to do it. He 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 puts yes. the he puts the lightsaber in the air and he commits he commits suicide by duel. Um cut to Leia, her droid comes alive, starts to untie her. Why? Because droids are clutch as fuck. Um, and not really on tire, but, um, use a little blade to cut her, uh, off. Uh, but in comes flea. They clearly have uh, a camera on her. He grabs the droid and smashes it to the ground. I thought my wife was going to cry when Lola took a, took a beat in there. This is the proper kick the dog moment. Um, Leia screams for Lola, then says, my father will be sending a whole army after you. Whole army. Flea says, no one is coming for you. Both of them wrong. Both both people wrong in this conversation. Cut to the sands of Tatooine and Obi-Wan is a riding. He goes to a very specific spot and digs up his lightsaber. Oh, shit. Oh, it's what he told shit. the Jedi to do. Uh, he, to- he told the other Jedi, go out in the sands and bury your lightsaber. It's the best thing you can do. And what we didn't know at the time is that he kept track of where he buried it. So one thing I really love uh, that the internet did with this first episode is they created the meme, which was um, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi going out, middle of the desert, digging, getting a box, opening it, and it was labeled as Obi-Wan is all Star Wars fandom opening love of the prequels that we had <laughs> we, we had put in the sand and covered with dirt yeah. 15 years ago. Um, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty funny, pretty funny meme. Uh, but anyway, uh, we did you see the two lightsabers in there. Yeah, I did. What was that about? Anakin's the one that he gives Luke later. 
Ah, there you go. That's true. That's true. I guess he he would have to bury them both, right? Because he doesn't want doesn't want doesn't anybody to find it. No. Yeah. So okay. it's his own and it's Anakin's that we see him give to Luke in episode four. We see Reva talking to Flea and she makes the comment that she knows Obi-Wan will come to get Leia. So they're letting us in right now <laughs> that, that is, Reva, Reva's behind this. That is such a profound assumption that is based on, as we said, some plot, some changing to the plot elements that don't make sense. This again feels like something we just kind of have to shrug and go, okay, well, they were right, so what can I really say about it? No, nah, but here's how this works for me, is that the reaction of the Inquisitors to her all along shows me that she continually takes these big swings, Yes. right? Because they wouldn't be reacting this way to her if she didn't, and so she's probably done crazy shit like okay. this and failed multiple times before, but she just happens to be connecting with the ball this time. We're seeing the one natural 20 that she's rolled out of the numerous failed attempts that have been going through this. Yeah, and okay. she she yeah, has sure, to fine. have failed before because the Grand Inquisitor wouldn't be so like ready to tell her On to her. settle the fuck down. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we uh, get Obi-Wan, who goes up to a commercial ship. Obi-Wan's got to fly commercial. He's, mm-hmm. he's oh. no more the Star Wars 1%. He's got to just get aboard anybody <laughs> else's thing. He can't rent the Millennium Falcon for this kind of trip right now. No, no Kessel Run for him. He's, he, he's, he's going. Actually, he isn't going to Alderaan. He's going under orders of Alderaan. So it's mirroring still the New Hope, but not quite the same. And he's got his lightsaber with him. End of episode. Yeah, I'll li- I'm, I'm going to advise Obi Wan: keep the lightsaber in your check bag. Don't put it on your hip yet, man. He <laughs> just got. He's just got a flash in that thing in the street. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I guess they don't have quite this. It's not directly akin to TSA, right? Because he wasn't, he didn't get a full body scan, so he was able to keep it on him. But you would think, at some point, somebody's going to notice that thing. Um, okay, there we go. End of the episode. What are your thoughts uh, as far as quality of episode one? I think I thought it did things well, and I thought it struggled with a couple other things. I think this series is clearly not done by the same people as Mandalorian when it comes nope. to action, and I think it reflects that, that the action is sadly kind of the weaker aspect of things, both in the fight at the Jedi Temple in Order 66 and the very, very slow Moss Eisley speed biker chase kind of chase scene with Leia and the three mercenaries through the forest. Those weren't great. Acting on Reva, we can debate whether it's intentional or not. It's still not entertaining to watch, and I think that's a mark against the show. But, Ewan McGregor, Jimmy Smiths, young Leia, seeing Alderaan, seeing uh, Obi-Wan go through his PTSD on Tatooine, all that is great stuff, and it's all a treasure to watch. And, I'm going to give you a bone that I otherwise would never give you. It does indeed make me nostalgic for the prequels in a way I was not expecting to happen. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll give the show that credit. I never felt particularly nostalgic for the prequels, but between this and certain episodes of The Mandalorian, I've got an urge to rewatch them that I've not had in ten years. I gotta tell you, I would be shocked if the views for the prequels on Disney Have Plus are not just as- absolutely going fucking sky high right now. Because um, they really are leaning on the best elements of the prequels. I liked the prequels an awful, awful lot. And uh, I, I love that this leans on that nostalgia. Uh, it's there for me in every way. But I think this definitely has some highs. I think it definitely has some things of note. I think we've noted a lot of the things that we kind of both really have complaints about in terms of certain acting, certain plot decisions. But overall, I think it's a good starter episode. I think it's moving a little bit faster than I would prefer, but given that they only have six episodes, again, that may just be a curse of the 
Book of Boba Fett formatting that they're doing for these little sideshows. They wanted to be they wanted to be done quick. They got six episodes. They got no time to, you know, no time to build up atmosphere or build up pacing when it comes to these things. They got to get through them as fast as possible. Well, Book of Boba Fett, I think, was season one. I think we're going to get season two of Book of Boba Fett. Um, this is this is this is it for you and McGregor. <laughs> so they say right now. We're if lucky actually, we got him for this. I don't think we're going to get you and McGregor. If, for if he has work. fun and this makes money, you better. I'm willing to believe they'll throw enough money at him to try to make this happen again. All right. Do you want to do some best line of the episode? I, I already told you what mine was. I, okay. I, I, I'm, I'll do some other I'm, nominees here. Please. Um, what about the fight? The fight is done. We lost. What happened to you? You were once a great Jedi. The time of the Jedi is over. That, that, that was a good line. I, the, the acting on the other Jedi was only so-so, but I liked, again, I, you and McGregor did some excellent uh, acting with respect to his body and his mannerisms in this. And I thought the grief and regret going into that line was pretty palpable. All I ever do is wave from Leia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. I liked, I liked it. Um, then uh, we talked about this. When the time comes, he must be trained. He must be trained. Interesting to me because... Um, it's still a little sliver, right? We're getting like yeah. just a little bit of Obi-Wan is still like, hey, there's still something to do here. Like we're not, this the, the he's telling this other Jedi, the fight is over, it's lost, it's done. I'm not quite sure that he would be comporting himself this way with regards to Luke if he really thought the fight was over, right? It, it tells us in some ways the prior line may have been to a certain element a lie. It may have been a certain of trying to convince this guy to protect himself, that the fight is done, you just need to hide. When maybe even Obi-Wan doesn't fully believe that, at least in this little kernel. Uh, from our favorite two-term uh, president from a congressional district down in Texas, Matthew Santos, this isn't about the boy, you know it. We've made mistakes, we all have. You couldn't save Anakin, but you can save... Her. And then we have best line of the episode, Obi-Wan Kenobi, part one. What if I can't? Yeah. It, it, that was my pick, and it deserves it. It's wonderfully portrayed. It's wonderfully said. And it's so revealing about Obi-Wan's character and the mindset he's in. It's a great line. Okay. And now we switch to nostalgic moment of the episode. What is your nostalgic moment of the episode, Spencer? Uh, can I only, am I only allowed to have one? Because, dear God, I've got a few. You can do some nominees and select one. Uh, nominees. Uh, like you said, Alderaan, seeing Alderaan, understanding yeah. its people, its imagery. Hell, even just seeing those uh, the Alderaan guard helmets that we saw back in New Hope again. All great stuff. Or also in Rogue One again. All great stuff. Um, seeing Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Seeing Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa. Seeing C-3PO as a cameo in the background. Seeing young Leia look like what I'd imagine you look like and act what I would imagine young Leia to look like and act like. Uh, I didn't have the same kind of passion for the Clone Wars as you did, but seeing the Inquisitors on screen in live action is pretty damn impressive too, even though it's not as much a nostalgic moment for me. And it, the, the list goes on when it comes to this kind of material and this kind of just mainline story in a way I wasn't expecting, but. Number one's just got to be the fact they got Ewan McGregor back as Obi Wan. I was not even expecting to just have that nostalgic pull of just this is my this is my young Obi Wan back on the screen. But lo and behold, it found it in my cold dark soul. Yeah, I mean those are all good nominees. I don't really have many other to add except for my winner, which is Young Leia. Young Leia is nostalgic moment of the episode for me. Uh, the way she acts, the way she runs around, the way she talks to folks, the, how smart she is, how she looks, how she's dressed, the fact she's on Alderaan. On and on and on it goes. Young Leia, star of the show, crushing it. Nostalgic moment of the episode for me. 
And now, sir, I'm left to ask, as we do in our Star Wars segments, how did this compare in your mind to a mainline, average, base Mandalorian episode? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the side. Where does it rank compared to what you view as the wonderful Mandalorian baseline we'd have going forward in terms of Star Wars media? It's hard to compare it to Mandalorian because I feel like it's more akin to the movies than it is to the television shows. It feels less like Book of Boba Fett and more like episode three and a half. Um, but I would say that it, it, as far as how entertained I was, the quality of it, um, it certainly is on par with a random episode of Mandalorian. I would say thumbs up in a big, big way. You? Uh, thumbs up leaning. I would say thumbs in the middle, maybe, maybe fluctuating, fluctuating a little bit. I think it had more flaws than the average expected Mandalorian episode in some ways. But also because it was tapping into the movies, I thought it had more highs and more tapping into mythos in a way that Mandalorians just never aspired to. I agree. It's kind of in its own little separate category. Where where would it rank when it came to the prequels? Is this in standard for your prequel nostalgia on, on that line? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's why I said it's like episode three and a half. It feels like the, and that's why I started by saying this felt like the big screen for me. This feels like a in line with the prequel movies. As good, acted as well, as interesting. Um yeah, very much, very much in in line with that that story they were telling heading into episode four for me. Well, I got to say, man, this episode did leave me excited for what's coming next, Obi Wan, including in the episode two that we all watched at the same time. Hell yeah! And we will be back with you probably tomorrow to review episode two. Why? Because podcast professionals and we are trying to get to where we are with you week by week, right? For episode three, four, five, and six. Uh, and so that's what our plan is here is to go ahead and do our review similar pod tomorrow for episode two and then be back with you about a week from now for our review of episode three and then in all subsequent weeks spencer any concluding thoughts before we wrap up here on our review of episode one of kenobi credit to a show that could have me nostalgic for movies that i haven't thought much about in years but i may go back and watch them tomorrow night just to kind of see what new thoughts i can bring as an adult to the prior star star wars prequels do it to it. That's great. I fully support you rewatching the prequels with a new eye and for research for the pod. Okay, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll be back with you very soon for episode two of Kenobi here on the Dark Star Wars. See you.